Welcome to Turnpikers, the show about the people who make up the Denver and Boulder tech scene. We're your hosts, Luke Beatty and Danny Newman. Information about this show is available at turnpikers.com and at turnpikers on Twitter. Today we have Lee Mayer, co-founder and CEO of Havenly. Hello. Thanks Welcome. for uh, joining us on Turnpikers. Thanks um, for having me. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about uh, what Havenly is? Sure. Um, so Havenly is the easiest way to shop for your home. So you go online, you pay one low flat fee, so it starts from $79. We match you up with an interior designer who works with you to decorate your home. So it's really intended to be for interior design for the rest of us. Cool. Very cool. And we'll dive into more of kind of the, the tech and stuff in a second. But uh, thank you. That's a great overview. Kind of the concept around Turnpikers is uh, kind of bringing the Denver and Boulder tech community together. And I feel like you founded this company kind of right as the wave of the Denver kind of tech scene was really coming back. Um, you and I know each other from uh, from Galvanize. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in Galvanize, I really feel like it did a really good job of really galvanizing the Denver community. Yeah. What are your uh, what have you seen kind of in this uh, rise of the Denver tech scene and and kind of how it's uh, been collaborative, helpful, not helpful? That's so anywhere? interesting. It's such an interesting question because I probably think about this every day at least once, particularly when I'm in Colorado, but in in particular when I'm not in Colorado. So when I'm fundraising or meeting with partners or or whatever, and I get this sort of quizzical look, like you're where? Because you know nothing can exist outside of the valley, <laughs> right? Um, but I think you're right. We ended up at Galvanize right when Galvanize was the only place to be. And I actually think that that was really formative for us. I, I don't know that it would be now because there's so many other places that people can work, I suppose. There are two Galvanize campuses and WeWorks and whatever else. But at the time, it was the only place that sort of early stage companies were percolating and the bar outside was where all the events were. And so there was this really interesting relationship where I, I very quickly, I knew, I knew no one in Colorado. I have no network here. I'm an East Coast girl. I'd sort of just moved out. Um, and I very quickly met pretty much everyone <laughs> that I kind of needed to meet in and around the Colorado technical scene. And in the process, I think I got to see companies grow, com some companies fall away, some companies sort of stay the same, I suppose. And I think one of the more interesting things about Colorado and us is just how helpful it was at the beginning. Like I was just a, a little girl with this crazy idea. I mean, you know, n by the way, two years ago, no one thought about Havenly and said, oh, that's genius. Not that many people are doing that now. I'm just saying literally no one did that. But people were really, really helpful. They were willing to connect me with whoever. They were willing to provide me feedback, sometimes good, sometimes bad. Um, they were willing to buy me a lot of cocktails, <laughs> which <laughs> became, I think, a formative uh, piece of what I called the galvanized period. <laughs> and I think from that, I probably got I think from a company perspective was very helpful for us. You know, it wasn't very difficult to meet um, the folks at Techstars or the folks at Foundry or the folks at Galvanize. It was easy and they were helpful. I don't know if other companies find it to be as useful as I did, but I certainly found it very useful. And you definitely took advantage of that ecosystem and of that help. I know that since then, that kind of initial kickoff, you're traveling a lot, you're on the East Coast, you're in the uh, Bay. How do those communities look, at least from your kind of uh, visits to those, do they seem as helpful or do we have something kind of unique going on here in, in the Denver scene? I actually think it's pretty unique. I think, you know, what's interesting about the Denver Boulder community is there's a willingness to accept and show vulnerability. 
and to sort of help people around it. Like if you go out to the valley, everyone's crushing it, you know, sure. crushing it until they're not, right? That's right. Um, and I think that that doesn't necessarily lend itself to, I think, some of the authentic relationships that I've formed that can be very, very helpful and incredibly useful at, as a first-time entrepreneur building a business. And New York, I mean, just, it's New York, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, I love it. And, and in many ways, I probably, you know, two years ago would have been like, why would I ever move from New York? But New York's just a, a relatively cutthroat place. And so um, I think there's a transactional nature to a lot of the relationships that I think I see formed between entrepreneurs there that doesn't exist here. And maybe I feel it particularly acutely because there really aren't other, cons I mean, there are a couple other consumer companies based in Denver but not that many. And so it's not like we're even competing with for talent. Um, you know, it's really, you know, the only relationship I have here are with people that are just trying to be helpful or vice versa. You know, maybe I'm helpful too. And so I think it's unique. That's awesome. Very cool. And speaking of kind of being helpful, I know you've got a cool founding story. As a first time entrepreneur, you had this idea, you wanted to execute it. And from what I understand, you just did it. You figured out how to make some first versions of this all work. I know that origin story will be interesting to a lot of people. Can you yeah. kind of dive into that? Yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting one, particularly because I think it's a strength and a weakness. I tend to be the type of person that likes to get into the details of things. And I tend to always believe I can sort of figure it out. And I think so at the beginning, you know, of course, you have more time than you do money, or at least I did. <laughs> you know, I sort of left my full time job, really wanted to pursue this. But I didn't have any money, didn't know anyone in Colorado, really. So I couldn't even, you know, sort of count on favors from some developer friend of mine. But, like, you need to build a website, you need to build a web app. And, you know, there are certain basic things that you have to do um, to get something off the ground, even to test it. And so I decided to build it myself. Um, you know, figured, how hard can it be? Like, I know some idiots doing this somewhere else. <laughs> I can do that. And so I ended up building the first few versions of Havenly myself. In fact... Um, you know, what's interesting, I think, about it is now that we actually have a real developer team, you know, we've since rewritten the application for the most part, but there are some, like, legacy things in the code. So today, one of our backend engineers was doing some database cleanup, and he sort of slacked out to the entire team, hey, does anyone know why we have this database table? And I'm like, ah, that's what we call a Because I'm in error. charge. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was something that I put in there a really long time ago. It's some weird, archaic way of doing things. Sorry. <laughs> like, I've got nothing to... I'm, I'm not a great developer. <laughs> But yeah, it was it was a good thing because it you know sort of got us off the ground in a relatively lean fashion. And I also now understand so much more about what those guys are doing, sort of in their corner in the back, than I think another non-technical CEO would. But on the flip side, like I'm a terrible developer. <laughs> I'm, I'm not like. But you do know when, <laughs> when your team might be BSing you, or yeah, you like know. I do know. Every once in a while, I have you know it probably annoys them to no end. I have like a nugget of wisdom, like oh, but we did this back in the day, and it kind of worked. Have we tried it that way? That happens very rarely now, <laughs> particularly now that we have a, a really world world class team. But you know, it was I think a really good thing. Um, it was a really bad thing in that it took longer, it didn't work. It took us a while to fix all of the sort of things that I put into place that weren't particularly optimal. Um, but, you know, it worked for us. So you recently raised money, I think, in the last six months. Is that right? Yes. We raised our Series A in November, in early November. From? So Foundry Group led the round, but we had a couple other participants. And what was the logic behind raising local money? 
So, um, you know, it's interesting. I actually did the full California fundraise and ended up getting a couple of term sheets from um, some folks out in California. What was interesting in my experience um, about some of the California funds is um, there was a level of discomfort about us being in Colorado. Particularly as a consumer business, there was this idea that, oh, talent doesn't scale, there's no other consumer companies, you're out of the ecosystem, who's going to acquire you, whatever, you know, you name it. Just a lot of, like, discomfort around investing in a company in Colorado. And even if they gave me a term sheet, I just didn't feel like every single board meeting having to explain why I personally lived in Colorado. That was part of it. The other part was when you're local, you start to know the reputation of the people that are going to be on your board. I mean... Jason Mendelson is on my board and controls a lot of my day-to-day. -day. And I didn't, I mean, for lack of a better word, I, I didn't want an asshole. And there's You're no, picking your own boss. I think to a certain extent, like, I could have jumped into bed with someone I'd known for three weeks because that's how long the fundraising process was. But did I want to? Um, not particularly. And I think, you know, Foundry has an incredible reputation amongst all of their entrepreneurs, local or not. And I was pretty honored that they would sort of have me as part of their family. That's great. Did you guys do some accelerators, Merge Lane yes, and uh, so 500? Yes, so we did two. Okay, yeah. Yeah, wow. we did two. I don't know Mine's why. It's not enough anymore. I know. <laughs> you should I, start your own. I should start my own. Yeah. Um, I have a problem saying no to people when they're selling me. This is like something I've learned is like a very difficult thing for me. And particularly when I'm feeling a little insecure about where I am, you know, or what I'm doing. So yeah, so we ended up doing two. It wasn't something we sought out. Neither, actually, we'd never even applied to 500 startups, I don't think. We just sort of like, I had a meeting and then all of a sudden the next day I didn't leave California. And then I don't remember what happened with Merge Lane, but it was a similar situation. I don't think, you know, we were sort of looking for accelerators by any means. I mean, the accelerator thing is interesting. Denver and Boulder, I think, are very accelerator heavy. So a lot of people think and talk about Techstars in particular, which is the premier one. And so, you know, I think it's interesting to sort of see what that means and how that's been helpful or not, I suppose, for a variety of reasons. And for the most part, was it helpful? Are you happy about that? Yeah, or? I mean, I, so I always get mad at them. Every time I look at my cap table, I'm like mad that I went through an accelerator. <laughs> I will, I will candidly admit this, sure. because every time I look at my cap table, I'm mad about everything. Yeah. <laughs> Raising money, like early employees, whatever. I'm just mad, because <laughs> I know you never own as much of the company as you want to. But I think once you get past certain stages in your company, you almost get selective amnesia. A year ago, when Mergeline took us, I mean, we were tiny. We were three people, still a dream. I think we had a pretty good, you know, pretty Which good story. Which came first, Mergeline or? Mergeline came first, yeah. Got it. And we hadn't raised literally anything outside of family money you know we didn't even get friends money in they took us on and they spent a lot of time with us and were super helpful and mostly just supportive and have been supportive through the entire process and still by the way are we had some tricky sort of capital decisions in our current fundraise and it they were stepped up to the plate and so and same with 500 startups right um, and so you know it's one of those like don't forget where you came from type of things like at the time, incredibly helpful. Do I get mad when I think about like the percentage points of equity I get? <laughs> Absolutely, but who doesn't, you know? Sure. It was worth it. So let's talk about the product for a while. Now, let's use uh, Danny's situation as our example. Okay. So Dan Danny bought a church. I know, I saw. Okay, because every guy who just got married needs a church. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And did you even get married in a church? 
No, absolutely you, not. No, you just <laughs> bought sorry. one. So you bought a church. So there's a church <laughs> sitting, and I think it's just a few blocks from my house if I think you're in mm-hmm. the church that I think you're in, but I, I try to steer away from churches myself. <laughs> wow. And so explain to us exactly how the relationship would work with Havenly if you were to sort of open up that, because you are redoing the whole place, is that right? Yeah. 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 How does that work? So from an sure. actual implementation standpoint. Yeah, so it's, you know, we, we're trying to make it as fun and easy as possible. Um, so for someone like Danny, who loves to get into the details, we certainly have that, but we also have sort of a lighter touch option, I suppose. Generally speaking, Danny would go online. He'd take a survey, and the survey would be then used to sort of assess your style. So Danny likes mid-century modern stuff, Danny likes glam stuff. Danny likes the color gold, whatever it is. Um, zombies. Yeah, zombies in particular. Dash, gold yeah. with a dash of zombie. Things that are black. So um, And so we use that to then sort of surface up in stack rank order designers that we think would really work for you. Um, and so we surface up three, but we've tested every single Is, is that algorithmic or is it that is manual or some combination yeah. no, of No, it's, it's algorithmic. Yeah. Um, and then... We allow Danny to then go through the designer's portfolio in the style that he's sort of been matched to, to pick the one he likes the most. And then he pays, he pays the fee. He can then talk to the designer, he can then fill out sort of a longer questionnaire, upload photos, you know, whatever sort of he wants to do. He can do a Skype call if he wants to video. And what the designer then does is sort of presents a couple of ideas for Danny's space. So he gets on this sort of platform yeah. and do I, like, do I take pictures of my you space? You can take pictures of, but I don't you have do, to. You do take, you okay. Actually, that's the one thing we do require you to okay. do now. Yeah. Some yeah. people just sort of come in and be like, I don't know, surprise me. Particularly, actually, I find that men come in and they're like, I've got $5,000, fix it. So anyway, so we give you a couple of ideas. You tell us what you like, what you don't like. We go through two other rounds of revisions with you, um, and you can buy some additional time. We end up with a visualization of the space with the furniture placed in it, so you can sort of see what it would look like. We fill a shopping cart, so a universal shopping cart with all of the products from the design, as well as alternates, so you can sort of see other things and pick from a couple of things. Across, I don't know, 180 vendors. We work with everyone you can think of. And you can buy everything directly through us, so the, the secret is, of course, we make money on both the design fee up front and the furniture we sell you. It's not a secret anymore. It's not a secret. I'm pretty sure it's pretty obvious. <laughs> um, but, you know, we try and be really nice about it. We have special relationships with a lot of vendors, so we pass on a lot of the discount. You know, we have some, we have some kind of interesting perks about buying through us, but that's, you know, that's really sort of the lucrative piece around furniture. So he submits all of that. There's a back and forth, however many times, between yeah. the owner and the designer. Mm-hmm. And then I think I was looking. There's a, also a, an installation kind of we delivery do, component. Yeah, and yeah. The, you, you, so you see the project all the way through? So, you know, that's actually something we work with partners to do. Like, I'm not a logistics provider. I'm not going to be good at that. So in select cities, we work with um, a combination of vendors that will do this for you. So either hold delivery, install, paint, all that stuff. But only if you're in a big enough city to sort of support that kind of thing for us. Yep. It's actually, I'd say, a piece of the puzzle that no one's really cracked yet. Um, furniture is interesting. I think it's this category in which the expectations of the customer and 
the actual ability to deliver are very far apart. Mm -hmm. so people want free shipping and they want quick shipping and they want it to be free returns and nowhere in furniture are you gonna get that. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting space in that you're really trying to break the norms that Amazon has set for you in other categories. You know, e-commerce is something we think about a lot. How do we get it better? And we rely on our vendors because we're all dropship. You know, it's a lot of trying to figure out how we make that delivery, that end part of the, of the experience, as delightful as hopefully the first part of the experience was. Because we're tainted by, you know, even if it's West Elm that kind of screws up for you, we're still tainted by that brush. You have a lot of dependencies on other people, right? So yeah. the, the part of the experience that you seem to are really dialing into to own the most is the designer matching mm -hmm. process, yeah. the workbench of the back and forth of iterations, yeah. and then the federated buying process yeah. of all those yeah. sorts of things. Yeah. That's a lot of things. It's a lot of things. I mean, I think what I like to say is it's discovery and decision making. Yeah. And then unfortunately, we rely on our vendors for the fulfillment and achievement of the vision. I'd love to get better there. We just, you know, I think at this point in time, we'd like to focus on one thing and do it, do it as well as we can and then go from there. And if you guys are hugely successful in five years, what else are you guys doing? Are you probably continuing to do those components better and better and better and more magically? Or are you probably getting into more of that Install logistics yeah. and all that? Where do you see... You know, I think what again, I... Not, not anybody would ever hold you to that, but yeah. what is, are you trying yeah. to grow your platform in the current interactions or trying yeah. to get into more interactions? So I'd love to be the first place anyone goes before they shop for their home. So, but it's before they shop for their home. I think the like logistics and delivery of furniture is hard. Mm. And frankly, a harder problem that better funded people will sort of probably like need to- Like a house. Like a, well, I don't know about house, but certainly a Wayfair would be yeah. like, you know, and I think they're working on this problem actually right now. So I think ideally, you know, we're, whenever you think about buying anything, a rug, when you're thinking about paint colors, when you're bored at home and you just want an idea where the first place you go. So everything that goes along with that, not to say that we've sort of decided on what these products would look like, but just your, your right-hand person when you're thinking about home product in particular. Are you alluding to like a free kind of work Place, yeah, I mean, type yeah, or, or, thing, or sort of more discovery based, okay. or you know, there are a lot of sort of avenues we can go down that you know we're obviously currently testing with avid attention. But you know, what, what we're starting to realize is the way that people shop for furniture has changed. So there's been this sort of secular trend around just awareness of well-designed spaces. You watch HGTV, you work at a beautifully designed startup space, you um, have been on Pinterest and House multiple times now. So more and more people sort of at lower ages but also lower sort of price points are getting more and more inspired by interior design. On top of that, I think you can couple that with this trend towards um, sort of more consumable furniture. So the average lifespan of a couch, for example, has decreased exponentially over the last generation. And people are just consuming furniture and furnishings more like they used to be consuming makeup or apparel. Certainly not, I mean, certainly far more episodic, but it is more of something that's done um, more often in your life. My mom decorated her living room and sat on it for 25 years, never touched a thing. That's not likely, um, particularly of our generation, what you're seeing. And so I'd love to be a part of that purchase decision. It's a, you know, it's an interesting category that way. And people 
move more now than they, they used to. They move far more than they used to, um, particularly in urban areas and at a younger age. Talk to us about your team. So okay. obviously, Danny and I have both built teams here in Denver and Boulder, so yeah. we are familiar with that sort of challenge. Uh, <laughs> and obviously, team team wins uh, all the time. What does your roster look like? What do you wish it looked like? Yeah. Um, how are you sort of split up between devs and product people and BD people and... Yeah, marketing, yeah. Teams, team's an interesting challenge. We got really lucky. Um, we quite early on got a couple of very, I'd say, very talented sort of senior people in tech and operations. So my COO is amazing. And we were lucky to get her. And our CTO is also... What's her name? Jesse, Jesse Dixon. Are there you we listening? go. Get the names <laughs> hey, out there. Hey, I love you. <laughs> um, you're working while I'm doing this. Um, and, uh, and our CTO... This is work. This, this is work. This is this work. This is true. This, this is, is going to be it's, one of the most meaningful things that's ever happened to... To Havenly. I, I know it is. And our, our CTO, who I actually knew from a previous life, we were also very, very lucky to get, as he's had a couple of successful startup exits uh, as well. And so from my perspective, what's interesting about building a team in Colorado that I always say is you may not get the quantity of just amazing talent, but I'll tell you, if there's someone amazing that's looking for a job in Denver, Colorado, that resume usually comes across my desk and I have a far higher likelihood of winning them and keeping them in this market. So. I think it's a combination of luck and the fact that I think in Denver, you just don't have to worry about the fact that Pinterest is hiring down the street, you know? Yeah, retention's um, a lot easier. Retention's a lot easier. So we built our team um, from just the two of us to we're roughly 30 and, 30 and change now um, and growing. We're hiring people, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> and I think, you know, we, we started out pretty dev light. So we ran it pretty lean for a long time. So did a lot of things manually if we didn't need to build it from a development perspective. Um, now we're sort of ramping up on the technology side. So roughly speaking, tech, I think next month will be about 25 to 30% of our team. We have customer operations, so that takes up the bulk of the Which the is bodies. more like client services yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's like, you know, everything. So it's a lot of like ordering, checking up. I mean, it's e-commerce, so, you know, you have a decent amount of that. Relatively low level, but wonderful employees. You can actually get incredibly talented customer service people here in market. And then we've got, you know, a tiny marketing team of about four people. It's not a particularly tech-heavy team yet. We are, though, I, th I think at this point, that's what we're hiring for. So we're staffing up on that side quite a bit. And your offices are in taxis? They're in taxi, yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty nice. Free parking. We've got a balcony. Sure. Got a pool. Made got a pool. Fitness center. Yeah. You get to work. Stay all day, yeah. stay all night. Big windows. You, you get up at three. I so know. Yeah. You might yeah. as well yeah, right? have all that on site. <laughs> you said it was just the two of you at first. Who's going uh, tell us about your... And Emily. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, I... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Emily um, is my co-founder and actually sister. So she, uh, she is- Actually. She, and actually. She's actually. She's actually my sister. You know, it's interesting. Emily and I came from the same family. My, my father's an entrepreneur, but somehow I missed the risk gene. She got all of it. So I don't know that I would have started a company if I didn't have her. You know, she was the one that was like, I don't know, go back to your safe job. Let's do this. This sounds great. And I'm like, I don't know. She's the one that like took this on and, and you know, actually had started for Havenly as well. Um, I, I owe a lot of just the act of 
leaving my job and like moving into this startup mentality um, to her. Tell us about your background. So <laughs> you're from you're from New York. Yes, I moved here from New York a few years back, so four years back. I moved for my husband, so I was a trailing spouse and bitter about it, by the way. Mm. Um, <laughs> prior to Havenly, I actually worked here in town. I was the VP and GM of a division of Bankrate, which is um, sure. a company out of New York. Prior to that, I was at Bain uh, Consulting, which is an exciting gig, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> And, and then I went to business school, so I went to Harvard for um, my MBA, and then Columbia. So I'm, I'm really an East Coaster. I grew up in D.C. Uh, this is my first time really spending any time west of New York, <laughs> or D.C., I suppose, is, is a little bit further west. So it was a change for me. It was a change. Um, certainly, if you think about my background, extraordinarily safe jobs, high, you know, well compensated to basically make PowerPoint decks. This is different. You know, this is very different. Um, and so, so it, it really was, is it dependent on your sister. Yeah, really. Well, to a certain extent, it's a funny thing. I don't know that I would have started this, I think, without someone really egging me on. Yeah. And then how did you guys arrive at this idea? Danny had mentioned that you, when you got the idea, you just got cracking at it like any good management consultant would. <laughs> uh, but how did you identify the problem? Right, so it's not a day-to-day -day yeah. problem, right? It's yeah. an episodic problem, yeah. although, as you say, more frequently for more people. Yeah. How did you sort of arrive at that? Did you and your sister sort of experience it yourself, or did yeah. you sort of identify this market, or how did you arrive it at was, the idea? It was a personal problem. I'm not an interior designer. I actually have probably spent less time designing my space than Danny has so far on his church. Um, it was actually moving here, I think. I felt it on a number of occasions, but acutely when I moved here, I had like this tiny furniture, like it was really small from New yeah, York. Yeah, dollhouse furniture. Yeah, I it, was, it was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. So, and then we, we bought this house, which was pretty large, and we got married, and I felt like an adult, and I'm sitting there like trying to buy the sofa, but I can't buy the sofa because I have to think about the chair and the rug and the, and the lamp, and, and it felt like a lot of decisions that I was making very quickly that were relatively expensive, and no one was helping me make them. To me, it seemed a little ridiculous. Like, I'm sitting here, I'm ready to buy thousands of dollars worth of stuff, and no one is helping me, guide me towards that purchase. Like, to me, felt really, really kind of crazy. Um, and a couple of things happened right after that that I think sort of helped us think about this. So first, my husband got a trunk club box. Sure. Fully inspired a lot of thinking on my part, and I actually just met with the trunk club guys in Chicago uh, this past week. and told them this story and they were, they were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then at the same time, I think I was having drinks with a designer friend of mine who had just graduated from design school and was so frustrated. She was working as a design assistant for a larger designer. So effectively project managing, like taking measurements and installing, <laughs> uh, managing installers for a larger designer. She basically was like, this isn't what I signed up to do. I want to do some more creative stuff. I have a lot of friends that are in the same bucket. And of course, like any great management consultant, there was that to me said there was at least a little bit of demand and potentially a little bit of supply, although I knew nothing about either side. And I figured that there was sort of an opportunity there. Neat. That's yeah. awesome. Is the original vision basically kind of survived or? Were yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. here and there, we've tweaked certain things sure. and, you know, you learn, I think, if you're smart enough, you learn from your customers all the time. Um, and so, you know, we've adjusted pricing, some of the product features, but yeah, overall, it's pretty much always been that, yeah. Any major setbacks or hurdles that kind of 
<laughs> like every day. Of course, any anything that could have uh, just oh killed the gosh. whole thing instantly. I mean, ter- we've made some terrible hires, and like horrible that like take months and lots of money to to fix things from. We've um, we started too slow in some cases, too fast in others. We let some competitors get ahead of us and didn't see it coming. What mistake haven't I made? I mean, it's like I've often thought about this. Like if I could just go back to two and a half years ago and and do this again, this would be so much better. I mean- Your cap table would look awesome. Yeah, my, my cap table wouldn't have 80, <laughs> own, 80 million people on it. You and your sister would each it. own 50% of the company. Yeah, you well, I don't have 52, all these but yeah. other people <laughs> bothering you. You could spend yeah, many like, more hours on our, on our, on our podcast. Hours, <laughs> hours. Um, before we wrap up, tell us about uh, what, what, uh, what 2016 looks like for you guys. I think for us, it's it's really exciting. Um, we're growing a ton. The business is growing a ton. The team's growing a ton. And I think right now, we've done, for me, what I'd consider the hard part. You know, the hardest part for me was going from, to paraphrase a book title, zero to one. Um, now it's like, okay, this is working. We seem to be hitting a market. People like us. Let's take this baby out on the road and see if it scales, I suppose. Um, and so that's really what we're working on. You know, I think the challenge with 2016, of course, is there's some sort of dark shadows somewhere over on the right side of the screen. Yeah, there always um, are. But other than that, I mean, you know, for us, it's we promised that we'd do something. Can we actually deliver on that promise? Is that going to be focused for you on customer acquisition, you think, or more platform or more... Uh, if you had to pick one, would you be? <laughs> would it be? One. Would it be more revenue focused or platform focused or brand I mean, awareness? Yeah, or... look like revenue wins the day, right? Yeah. Um, so all of that stuff, so brand awareness and product and you know whatever um, operations, all of that effectively leads to hopefully a rapidly growing top line. So it's always going to be about that. Um, and I think for us, um, you know, for any consumer company, customer acquisition is often what ends up winning. Product for me is a tool for a customer acquisition. So having a great product just means that you don't have to spend on the customer that's getting referred to you. Yeah, that's what I think about it a lot. It's awesome. Before we wrap up here, you mentioned you came not knowing anybody, but a ton of people have been kind of influential and helpful. Yeah. Um, any in particular you want to give shout outs to and potentially give us some ideas for other oh. guests on the show? Well, you should definitely have one of the founder guys on the show um, because I think they're just such a, they're amazing for the community and having them here means that I got funded, but also many other people are sort of getting the benefits of their expertise and they create a halo effect over, I think, Denver Boulder outside of Denver Boulder in a way that I don't think anyone else could. I don't know, there were so many. So one of my favorite first ones was Chris Franks at Galvanize who I just saw actually running out of the taxi parking lot. I don't know, he's just he's just got like this way of like, yeah, I've seen that and done that and yeah, I've, I've screwed up. And I, I kind of love that about him. Like he's always, like you have a terrible story, he's got a better terrible story. Yeah, it's comforting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like it's like, it's all right. Great. All Misery right, loves like, company. That's, it does, it really does. Um, but I don't know, there are a ton of others. I wish I'd thought of some, but. I can think of some later. Awesome. And you can hit them. We'll throw those in the comments. In. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you. Yeah, thanks and, for having um, me. And hopefully we'll have you back here in a year or so, and you can tell us about all those uh, successes and um, pass yeah. the word along, and hopefully we'll uh, this will be something to help build your business a little oh, bit. Well, I hope so. But thanks for having me, guys. It was good to see you. 
Thank, Thank you, you so much. Yeah. You've been listening to Turnpikers, a show about the people who make up the Denver and Boulder tech community. You can reach us directly and discover more about the show at turnpikers.com and at turnpikers on Twitter. Please send us your questions, comments, and recommend future guests. <laughs>